Well, thank you guys again for gathering with us here. Uh, my name is Eric Baker, and I'm one of the pastors and serve as the teaching pastor uh, here at Mission Church. And so we are thankful that you have come uh, to be with us, to exalt the name of Jesus. If you have not already gotten on your Bible, I would encourage you to get out your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, and to follow along with me in these verses. Our desire is not just for you to learn about Jesus and his word through hearsay say, but rather that you would come to know this Jesus and, and to learn God's Word. We are a church that is adamantly against uh, biblical ignorance or biblical illiteracy, but we believe in such a time as this that the Lord has called us to know Him, and how do we come to know Him? And that is through His Word. And so it is important for us as believers that, that we come and that we know the person and work of Jesus. Now, this morning, I want to share something with you, and that is that uh, we're entering in this sermon series, what I'm calling like season two. Um, if you watch Netflix shows or any of these sorts of things, Laura and I have just simply gotten to the point, like if we don't know that there's going to be a season two of a show, we just don't watch it because we've been disappointed uh, before to get wrapped up into something and then Netflix cancel it or something like that. Well, in this series, we're, we're shifting over the next several weeks until the end of June, and some of you may be a little bit startled by this, but I, I would hope that you would not be, but we're going to actually be spending from today, then we have next week, and then we have a guest speaker coming at the end of May. Uh, Mark Phillips will be preaching for us. Then we're going to pick back up in June, and then all of June, those uh, four Sundays, we're also going to be in these same verses. And uh, it is extremely important for us to do a deep dive into these passages of Scripture, um, especially within the culture that you and I are living in. And so we're going to spend, it's going to end up being about six weeks looking at chapter 6, verses 9 through 20, and that's really going to begin today. Now, as a kid, I hated to read. It wasn't until Jesus saved me that he opened up my eyes and gave me the desire. I literally had to pray and then put it into practice. Lord Jesus, you've given us a book. That means you want us to be readers, but I hate to read. So Lord Jesus, as a Christian, help me to become a reader. And since that when God, God has been very gracious in my life to do that very thing. But when I first started out reading, I noticed something within books, because I didn't read until I became a Christian, is that there's typically a foreword written by some other author, right, before the introduction, right? And so when I would read a book, um, I would often skip the foreword and then skip the introduction and just merely go on to chapter one, because that's the real meaning of the book, all right? Now, the issue is that is typically, man, there are some great nuggets of truth and understanding that are found in that foreword. Even more so, the introduction to a book actually acts as a thesis statement for where are we heading in this book. And so this morning uh, is going to be in very much a forward or uh, rather an introduction um, to where it's going to be laying a foundation for you and I to understand the things that we are going to. Now, I've told our pastors, I've told pastors, I was in Nashville from sunup to sundown last night. 
uh, being with pastors, and um, I've asked for them to pray for me, and I would ask that you pray for me as well and our other pastors. Um, in my 20 years of pastoring, I would, I'm saying to you, I'm confessing to you, um, that I probably have the hardest series of preaching uh, text and topics uh, that I've probably ever covered. And that's what we're going to be experiencing in the next six weeks as we talk about, as today, like a theology of the Bible, as we talk about uh, gender, as we talk about uh, sexual immorality, as we talk about homosexuality, as we talk about um, pornography, all these sorts of things. You can see with me just telling you those topics um, that, man, those are, are very culturally relevant to where we are. And as the people of God, I'm so thankful that the Bible doesn't skip over talking about the hard things. And so neither are we. We're going to press into them and see, hopefully, an edified Christ and a light in our darkened path on how we're supposed to engage in a world that is absolutely, completely addicted to all the things that I just mentioned. All right? So, in your Bibles... We saw in the reading of the text today, if you were to follow along inside of this text, um, you'll see several mentions of the body, the human body, and what we're supposed to do or to not do with the body. We see that in this passage, if you notice inside of verse 12, and if you're using the ESV Bible translation that we hand out here and use regularly here at Mission, you will notice something, and I would encourage you to mark this or make note of it, um, that in that passage in verse 12 that Ian read for us, notice verse 12 is in quotations. All things are lawful for me. And that's in quotations. Notice uh, in verse 13, there's uh, another statement in this uh, line of thinking or in these verses that are also in quotations. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now what's happening inside the, the writing here, it's believed that those statements that are in quotations, that those are actually very common catchphrases or statements that are found within the Corinthian culture. Remember, the city of Corinth is a hustling, bustling place of, of just complete indulgence. Um, it was a very wealthy place. There were temples there, and we'll get to that in the next couple of weeks, um, to gods and goddesses, sexual promiscuity. All these things were just completely immersed within this very city. And likewise, just like in our culture, there were these statements that were out into the culture that eventually invaded or made their way also into the life of the church. Because who are these people? They're Corinthians. You also have to remember within our text and context that this church is probably only two, three, maybe four years old, and that everyone within the church are all baby Christians. And so they're trying to navigate the gospel and the person and work of Jesus and how he's called us to live separate and different in the world, and yet what continues to happen? The influences of the culture come into the church. Sounds very familiar to me as a person in 2020. I got to thinking about, well, maybe if Paul was writing this to the church at Mission Church inside of Bowling Green, maybe he would address common phrases like, love is love. Right? That's a very common phrase within our culture that has also invaded many thoughts and verbiage uh, within the church. Or another one, you better speak your truth. 
The culture loves to say, speak your truth, and I can't tell you how many times I now hear Christians saying terms and posting out on Facebook, how, hey girl, you just need to speak your truth um, after you wash your face, all right? Um, and we see these sorts of common statements or that it's, as we've saw in the last couple of weeks, as our, our country is dividing over the overturning of, or the potential overturning of Roe versus Wade, is uh, my body my choice, right? Or this last one, man, you just need to follow your heart. You just need to follow your heart. Whatever your heart tells you to do, that's what you should do. And I cannot express to you how dangerous that those terms and practices as they have invaded the church in America, the current church, likewise, these statements that Paul is making, which were common in the culture, have also invaded the church, which is leading the people not to honor Jesus with their lives, but to live like the world. So Paul is going to address those things. Now, as we dive into this, and as we talk about a theology of the human body today, it's again extremely important to understand Corinthian culture. And how they viewed the body. Um, Greek philosophers and Greek people, which is what the Corinthians were, is that they literally believed that the soul of a person was the only thing about a person that ultimately had any value. They believed that the physical body, your skin and your bones and your hair and and all those sorts of things, what you did with those things um, was actually of, of... of lesser value. It was actually that your, your body was just a necessary evil for your soul. Um, there were different uh, philosophers uh, that would often come out with all these different sayings about this mentality. One of them was, was that the body is a tomb. Another Greek philosopher said, I am a poor soul shackled in a corpse. A Roman or Greek philosopher that you probably know have heard of, his name was Plato. He once said that the body is just a prison house. And so they viewed that the human body was made up of the soul and the spirit, or the, the body and the soul, but the one of only any value, again, was this soul, and that this is just sort of some sort of skin suit that the soul had to live in for the time being. And so what you did in your body or with your hands or with your feet or with your eyes or with your ears really had no final bearing on your eternal soul. There was a separate in this. And this is, again, extremely popular belief by the Greeks that these two things are separate, that your true self is is only found in your soul, Like, that's who you really are. It's who you are in here. Not this. Not this this stuff. And this is what the Corinthians believed. The essence of what really makes you, you, is on the inside. And so because of this, the Corinthians believed that a person could do whatever they wanted to do with their physical bodies, because again, it had no effect on their eternal souls or their souls. So there was much freedom in their mindset, much liberty on how they could live their lives and do whatever they had to do with their body, because again, it's just your skin. It's just your body. The 
physical body and the soul are separate. This, again, was the common view within the culture, and it now infiltrated the church. And I would argue that this common view of that there's a major separation between the soul and your fleshly body is also very true of where we currently live in these United States and in the world. We do not see them as a whole, but rather we see them separate. See, what would often happen within the church is because they began to believe this idea is that the soul and the body are separate from each other and that since we're saved by grace, you can't lose your salvation, then your soul is eternally secure in the person and work of Jesus. See how the culture's influence is invading the church? You're completely free in grace and in Christ. Your soul is eternally saved. And so what you do with your flesh, what you do with your body, Christian, doesn't matter. I am free in Christ. And they interpreted that as meaning all things are lawful to me. They took all things from lawful from the culture and placed it into their theology. So, Christians, it doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what you drink. It doesn't matter who you engage in sexual activity with because it has no bearing on your soul. It's just bodily functions. Right? We'll go into more detail about this next week in verse 13 because he essentially says, hey, when you get hungry, when you have an appetite to eat, what do you do? You eat. It's a natural function of the human body. So likewise, when you have sexual temptation and sexual appetite and urges, just do whatever you want to do. It's just a function of the body. We breathe, we eat, we participate in sexual activity. We are mammals. That is what we do. But is that what the Bible teaches? Does the Bible look at it in this way. I'll often hear my students on campus of Western Kentucky University say things like, why does it matter what people do with their bodies? Especially if it's not hurting you in any way. Anybody heard that before? It's free, man. Just let people do whatever they want to do. I'm all about voting for the freedom of self. Free will, you do, you do you, right? You do whatever you want to do. As long as that doesn't invade my space or hurt someone else, man, you get just to do whatever you want to do. And that mentality that is out in the world has also infiltrated the church in such a way that people proclaim to be followers of Jesus and yet with their profession and yet with their practice are doing what? Whatever they want to do. Why? Because it doesn't really have any bearing on my soul. This is what's happening inside of the city of Corinth, and this is what is happening within our great city of Bowling Green. So the Bible would go on to tell us that as, as we understand this text in context, as we understand this, this thing, this belief, this practice that is happening within the, the Corinthian church and what's also happening within ours, is that we need to understand something, is that the body itself, your physical body, was created by the master artist. 
If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Verse 21, later on, he said, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he was asleep, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in, up with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman. Unlike what Disney would like to tell us, and I'm not a Disney hater, you just don't get your theology from Disney. It's not this idea that there's a bucket of souls up in heaven and that God is looking for babies to put a soul into. But no, when we go to the book of Genesis and we see the, the master artist at work as he, he took the very dust of the ground, the very soil of the ground, and as he formed that into a man, he formed it into what first? A body. And then he breathed his life, his life-giving breath into that what? That physical body. How did women get created? They got created from a piece of the body of man. See, God created the human body to be both body and soul. The soul and the body are distinct, and yet they cannot be separated until our physical death. A human is not just a soul. You're not just who you are on the inside. But no, as God created you in this beautiful formation of what makes you, you, he is as concerned with your physical body as your soul because what makes you ultimately the image bearer of God is that you have both of those. They are who you are. The body is not more valuable than the soul, nor the soul nor uh, more valuable than the body. One is not more, again, of who you are than the other. You compromise sitting right here on 1200 Old Bering River Road that you are body and soul, and that is what makes you, you. In God's green design, the body and the soul function interdependently. Much like our brain is not the heart, and our heart is not the brain. And yet, they work in unity together. Both the body and the soul are spiritual. Both are ethical. Both working in harmony with each other. Again, as the image bearers of God, we are soul and we are body. We are both material, body, and we are immaterial, soul. These two things that make up what it means to be human were never meant to be separated. If the fall within the garden had never taken place, Adam and Eve would have always existed as body and soul. They were never meant to be taken one from the other. But as sin infiltrated the, the, the life, the whole life of man and woman, it's separated from us from God and also has caused this one day separation that will take place when we die. As the soul is separated from this physical 
body. What makes you you ultimately isn't this idea of of going to heaven one day and and being some Casper-like ghost floating around for all of eternity. No, but God is is all in his master uh, artistry here is at work in the formation of who you are, which includes, man, every lost hair that I have on my head. And in that creation of the body and the soul, he puts his artistry out for all to see. Think about the billions and billions of people that have lived throughout the history of humanity, and yet there are no perfect duplicates. Why? Because in Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14, as David would say, for for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, the Lord cares about your soul. Yes, he cares about your body. Why does he care about those both of those things equally? Because that makes up who you are. It's a part of his beautiful creation. I mean, to think about that right now, just take, a, a, as the word of Psalms would say, the word Selah. When you read that in the Psalms, it means like a musical break, or it could mean like to think about this, to pause and to ponder on what has just been said. And I think that we need to take this morning a, a, a Selah, a moment to pause and to think about the Almighty God needed you together inside of your mother's womb. You thought it was your mama and your daddy. But God used what? The human body and soul in order to formulate and to create everything about who you are. Your strand of DNA that crazy pinky toe that hides underneath the other ones that you never see, right? And if you get your nails done, you still got to get paid to get that one painted, right? Or some of you guys, you know, y'all got that Andre the Giant second toe that's like way longer than the first one. I think there's something, you know, crazy myth out there that says like that means you want to be like in control, like it's a dominant feature, Right? I've seen some of y'all's feet. It's true. All right. Like every time I go to the doctor, like he finds a new mole, and I'm like, please don't be cancer. Right? Like he knows all of those things, and he has in his in his perfect majesty in the creation, he formed you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You ever thrown something together for dinner? You know what I'm saying, right? Oh, it's, it's late and you're just like, Bleh, right? Microwave meal, TV dinner. Like I remember being disappointed. My mom worked all day, but I like to eat. Y'all know that. And I'd come home and she had those big, fat, pink hot dogs in water and it would turn... The water, anybody grew up in the 80s? It turns the water pink. And I'd just be like, 
I don't want no pink hot dog, bolt, bolt, nasty hot dog, right? I was like, oh, she tried. She just throwing this together tonight, right? And I get it now as a parent. You know, the Lord did not do that on you. He took time and care. That's why to be pro-abortion is anti-gospel. It's complete evil. Because the Lord is at work knitting that person together. Heaven will be filled with humans who never stepped foot on the earth. Think about that. What a beautiful thing. You're going to get to see them, them kids. Maybe you, sadly, moms or dads, you've had a miscarriage and you'll, you'll see them. As a man, as a woman. Why? Because they were fearfully and wonderfully made. We see in this passage, verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but what is the body for, the Bible tells us? The body is for the Lord. See, what we do with our physical bodies, how we treat them, what we put inside of them, how we use our eyes, our hands, our feet, our mouths, our ears, our genitals, matters. It matters. Why? Because they weren't given to us for ourselves. They were given to us for the Lord. The Bible tells us these things are for the Lord. Your body is for the Lord. The word Lord here illustrates that Jesus is the master over your physical bodies. See, we'll often say, man, he's in my heart. Did you ask Jesus to come into your heart? See, we're talking about soul things there. And I'm not saying that that is all necessarily 100% wrong. There, there can be some hints of truth in that. But you need to understand that it's not just your heart in which he is dwelling. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is just in your heart. But if you are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is in, dwelt inside of you. Like Jesus is master. He is ruling and reigning over your physical bodies. They are meant for him to rule and reign, to guide, to lead, to protect, to, to honor with your physical body. This is the glory of God. It's for the glory of God and it is for our benefit. He is the creator and the creator, what? Knows best for your body. He knows what we should eat to, eat to be healthy. He knows that Paul would even say that physical exercises, it has its place. That your physical makeup is to, to be a reflection of who your master is. Who your Lord is. And so what we do with them is extremely important as we're going to see over these next coming weeks. 
So how is the gospel then good news for our bodies? How's the gospel good news for our bodies? Well, first, we've got to look to the person of Jesus inside the gospel. And what do we see? We see passages like in John chapter 1, verses, uh, 1, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. There's this heresy out here that literally believes that when Jesus came to earth, that he never really became human. That he only perceived to be human. That it was a mirage. That he was not fully God and fully man, but rather he was God pretending, walking around, and it appeared as though he had a physical body. But that is not what the Bible tells us. Our gospel breaks down if Jesus, if God does not become flesh, then, then we have no gospel. Our hope, our truth, the Bible, uh, the authority of God's word, of our master and our Lord is revealing to us that no, God left his throne. Jesus left his place in all of creation, in all of history, and he submitted himself. He lessened himself and and became a man, a hundred percent God, a hundred percent man. Think about this just for a moment, is that Jesus makes Mary, and then he is later, sometimes later, than he is placed inside of Mary. Mary gives a physical birth to Jesus. Jesus has a heartbeat. Jesus breathes. They probably had to slap Jesus on the hind end to get him to breathe properly. Jesus nursed at his mother's breath. Think about this, is that, that, that the God, the creator that is holding all things together is simultaneously in the flesh, nursing and receiving nutrients from Mary, ultimately from God through her milk. Jesus cried. Jesus' diaper had to be changed. Jesus went through that awkward teenage boy puberty stage where his feet grew like that, but he was only this tall and probably about that big around. Like Jesus' voice changed. Y'all remember that, fellas? Some of y'all remember that, ladies, because y'all made fun of us. You go talking up here one day. <laughs> <laughs> right? All of a sudden you get one hair on your chest right there. Or one hair on your chin and you're using just for men to blacken it so you can tell people you got a goatee. Jesus had a body. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, Jesus is tempted to eat too much. Jesus is tempted to, to look at that young Jewish girl a little too long. Jesus had all the bodily urges and appetites that you and I have, and yet he never sinned. When Jesus died, he physically died on the cross. I think we sometimes get in our mind, when Jesus died, he didn't really feel that. I mean, he was God. No. Ladies and gentlemen, he, he felt every whip of, 
uh, of the Roman whip. He felt every punch. He, he felt every pulling of his beard. He felt every uh, thorn that was placed into his head. He felt every nail that was placed into his wrist. He physically died on the cross. He was physically laid in a tomb. And on Resurrection Sunday, his physical body arose from that grave. And when Jesus ascended in front of the disciples, when he gave them the great commission and says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but in, while I am preparing that place, I want you to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus's earthly body went up into the sky, do not lose this. There is a body in the throne room of God right now. Why? Because the body is of great value to God. We will see Jesus in the flesh as he was in the flesh and as he is in the flesh. He goes on here in verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up in power to see the gospel and its impact on our lives. First, we need to focus on Jesus and the God man that he was. The second thing that we need to see is the resurrection of our body. As we see here in verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up in his power. See, Paul is arguing here that the purpose or the God's purpose is for the human body. As Jesus was raised and now sits at the right hand of God in a body, even now, as Jesus was raised from the dead to a physical body, so will we be. Again, we're not some ghost going to flying around in heaven one day or having some skin suit that one day we can't wait to shed this body that we have. But no, as the book of Romans would tell us, as Paul would tell us in that letter, Romans chapter 8, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the spirits, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, as Sam Alberry would say, pastor, speaker, author, uh, Jesus Christ is good news for our body. Your body, my body, is, is not just there, happening to exist. It means something to God. He knows it. He made it. He cares about it. And all that Christ has done in his death and resurrection is not in order for us to one day escape this body, but for him to one day redeem it. This is the, the beauty of, of seeing this transpire is that, that for, for you and I, again, because of sin, yes, when you die, the, the soul of your body will be taken and held fast by the very hands of Jesus until he returns. But what does the Bible tell us? That in the return of Jesus is that he's going to place your soul back into your body. Now, praise God, the Bible also tells us that he's going to make it new. I'm full, like, I hope I have long fabo hair when he does that. This crick that I have every time I walk that makes a popping noise, this tendonitis that I've got right here, that crazy mole that's like in the shape of Alaska on my back, whatever it is, I pray that the Lord redeems all of those things 
but you're getting your body back. Why? Because as Jesus was resurrected, so the Bible tells us that he is going to resurrect your dead body as he took what was separated and broken in the garden and he places them back together. See, all other religions are about you shaking off and finally getting to the point where you don't have to deal with flesh. But that's not the Bible. The Bible is about you having a redeemed body. redeemed body, a resurrected body. See, friends, heaven is not going to be a soul experience. Heaven will be a full body experience. And likewise, hell will be as well. You are going to feel every bit of delight with all of your human senses in the return of Christ. And likewise, but if you do not know him, friends, you will experience with all of your senses the just and wrathful, or just and right wrath of God. You will experience, depending on if you are in Christ or out of Christ, your circulatory system, your, 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 your nervous system, everything, your touch, taste, feel, all of these senses, depending on, on where you are, you will have a full body experience as you delight in a full body posture at the worship of our King, and His name is Jesus. Your body matters. matters. Therefore, what do we do with our bodies now? Well, let's keep reading here. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? What shall we, shall I then take the members of Christ and put them into the members of a prostitute? Never. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Do not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Get this, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, this morning we see what, what the gospel is doing. It's anti-cultural. It's going against the grain of the culture as they're trying to separate these things. Hey, you are free to do whatever you want to do in your physical body. It has no bearing on your eternal soul. The gospel is the exact opposite of that. Jesus comes in the flesh. He cares about the body. We see him come. He physically lives. He physically dies. He physically is buried. He is physically resurrected. And our hope of Easter Sunday in that resurrection is likewise those of us who are in Christ Jesus will be raised to be like Christ's resurrected bodies. With that, we are to then worship God with these earthly bodies. 
That's why he says this, so glorify God in your body. Because of our union with Christ, everywhere we go, everything we do with our bodies, Jesus is present. We worship him with what we do with our physical bodies. And what makes up our physical bodies is also our soul. It is They are together. They are one in the same. They make up who you are. The Bible does not treat the physical body as something that you should be taking lightly or to be distorted, but rather places a high value on your body. We worship gods, or we, not gods, don't do that, that's bad. We worship God with our bodies, but we do not worship our bodies. It is a tool to magnify God. It is a beautiful creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet, as we'll see in the next few weeks, is whatever is our drift toward is to worship our bodies or to worship the body of someone else or to be, um, to be jealous or to be coveted another person's body. But we have to do the groundwork here today. I know this is philosophical, and I'm like, where's the funny story? You know, tell us something crazy to pull us all together. No, we, we, we've got to do the hard work today to understand some very difficult topics that we're going to. We, church, must have a robust theology of the body. We must. And because we haven't for so long, that's why many churches and many people who are professing to be Christians have gone wayward. But we're called to glorify God, to worship God with our bodies. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul isn't saying, yeah, just worship him with your heart. No, he says, all that makes up you, Stephanie, the many of you Stephanies, right? The many Eric's within our church, the many Amanda's within our church that God has orchestrated before the foundations of the earth, such a time as this, that your, your day of birth and your day of departure and that dash in between, that he has orchestrated that you would live at the very house that you live in, that you would drive the car that you live in, that you would breathe the air that you are currently breathing. And he has so chosen to do that in your physical life right now. Why? So you will glorify him with that body that he has preciously and so mercifully given to you. The breakdown of your body is a parable reflecting the depths of sin. And Jesus makes all things new. He is going to throat punch sin, Satan, and death. As he declares, you think that you have won. And what is that a picture of? That Saturday, wherever the demons and Satan were, as they rejoiced and that the Son of God was dead. But can you imagine the shuddering that took place in the heavenly realms as that stone was rolled away to reveal that Jesus is alive? 
So can you imagine the earth shaking as Jesus returns in glory? In the graves of the saints busting forth as he redeems these bodies. What a beautiful picture. So we honor God with our bodies. Jesus, church, is calling us to follow him. But when he calls us to follow him, he's not just saying with our intellect. He's not just saying with our emotions. No, Jesus is literally calling him. When he went to the disciples and said, hey, follow me, they weren't like, all right, Jesus, I'm following you in my heart. Now I'm going to keep on fishing here. No, the Bible will tell us that immediately they left what they were doing and they followed after Jesus in their human, in their entire body. Jesus, when he is calling us to follow after him, he's not just saying, do this with part of me or a compartment of you or just your mind or just your heart. But no, he's saying all that makes up who you are, come and to follow after me. We are unable to honor God's with our bodies and in ourselves, our own empowerment. But this passage is reminding us this morning that we are empowered to do so. We are empowered to do this with our bodies by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because He is the resurrected Lord, guess what that means for you and I? Is that we can have hope, that we can rely, that He is the Master, and that He is lording over even what we do with our bodies. If you are a Christian, guess what? You are free. But guess what you're free to do? You're now free to obey. You are incapable of doing that in your, in your sinful state. If you're a non-Christian, you're, you're not empowered. You're not set free in order to obey God. Everything that you do, even your good works, is actually sin against a holy God. And yet when Jesus arrests the heart of a person, he's arresting their entire life. And then that is true Christian freedom. Is that I'm set free that I no longer have to do this with my hands. I no longer have to do this with my eyes or have my feet take me this or, or use my body functions in ways that dishonor God, but because he is creator, then man, he's, he's got a perfect diet plan for us, the, the best kind of diet plan for us. He, he encourages, again, taking care of our physical bodies. Why? Because he knows everything about you. He made you. He took time on you. He formed you. He knitted you together. And he's not going to call us something to do something that he's not likewise going to empower us to do with this Holy Spirit. This, I'll leave with this. So when I was a little kid, again, I grew up in church. And uh, children's church. Anybody ever go to children's church? They teach you all these little songs. Typically, you'd be out in the, the service and then they'd be like, all right, before the preacher was going to preach, uh, this is back in the 80s, they'd say, all right, now we're going to have children's church. That meant, hey, we're going to go babysit your kids in the back. <laughs> and so all the little kids would be like, okay, let's go to children's church. And so it was this, this moment within the church. Anybody follow, like nod your heads? I know you're frozen, but come on, participate. Okay, I promise you will not get any snakes, no Kool-Aid. You'll be all right. Okay, full body, right? And we learn these songs, like I'm in the Lord's army. Y'all know that one? I will never. 
shoot the artillery. I'm in Father Abraham, right? Hmm, and hmm. You know that one? Deep and hmm. And by the end, you're just going hmm, 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 hmm. We're going to do that next Sunday, Ian. Get on it. Just the hmmans. All right, we're going to go all children's church songs next week. We're going to be hip and cool and relevant. All right, maybe get a fog machine. Um, risky. But do you remember this one? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Be careful, little mind, what you think. And then oftentimes as kids, we did not pay much attention to the chorus like I think we probably should have. But the chorus goes, For the Father up above is looking down on you with wrath. That's not what it says. For the Father up above is looking down on you with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Your body matters to God. And there is an entire culture that is trying to lead the Corinthians and is trying to lead you and me right now that the soul and the body are separate. But to God, they are precious. So be careful what you do with your hands. Be careful what you do with your feet. Be careful what you see. Be careful what you hear. The Father up above is looking down at you in love. So be careful, little child of God, what you do with your body. Let's pray.